I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. The work that I put into a film as a director, there's so much passion and drive there, I don't feel lazy at all. Whereas an actor, I think I was lazy a lot. Welcome to Chosen Family. I'm Thomas LeBlanc. And I'm Trana Winter. Amy Jo Johnson is on the show today. If you think you don't know who Amy is, you're wrong. Amy was the pink Power Ranger. Oh my God. I mean, come on. And she was also on Felicity. She played Julie Emmerich. I feel like for so many millennials, between those two roles, she's just been this like touchstone in our lives and an inspiration. She's had such an interesting career. She is now a filmmaker and a writer. She lives in Toronto. She was raised in Cape Cod, moved to LA, moved to Toronto. And her new film, Tammy's Always Dying, it's set in Hamilton, of all places. And I really loved it. It really affected me on a deep level. I'm so happy that we got the chance to talk to her. We actually went to Toronto for TIFF because Amy was there premiering the film, it, which is where so many films premiere now. Like, TIFF has become... Like, has is it bigger than Cannes now? It's very different. It's, I feel it's like a very commercial festival. I feel a lot of deals are made there. You really feel the city buzzing. It's deeply erotic. Um, what? I what just, do you mean it's erotic? Just we didn't know, even see hustlers when we were there. I know, <laughs> <laughs> but I I still felt like the remnants of J Lo's presence yes. in the city. Like J Lo shook Toronto, yeah. and I could feel it in the ground. <laughs> and I just you, knowing that all of the biggest stars in the world are in the same place as you, like in the same because we don't live in New York, we don't live in LA. So that's not a common occurrence for us. Right. And so there's this kind of surreal energy just knowing that everyone is there and there's all these black escalades driving around. You just <laughs> like I'm like constantly looking around and being like, who's that? Is that someone? They look like someone. That's a major difference between us because I mean, I care, but ultimately, I want to be in the movies. You right. want to do it, but you're a fan. I'm both. You've told me that like, when you were going to see Broadway shows a few years ago, you were going a lot. You would wait for the artists yes. to come out. Like, what is that? Like, I would <laughs> never do that. I wait know, in the you cold would never, and the rain? I know you would never do it. I, oh God, how do I express it? There's just something so alluring about fame to me. When I'm like, in Montreal, like in the old port or just like traveling in general and I see tourists around and like tourists are taking pictures of statues. I'm like, I don't understand that. Right. But it's like celebrities are statues. They're like these <laughs> pillars in our culture. I mean, I know they're just people, but they're not at the same time right. because our whole culture is so entrenched in like celebrity worship that they are kind of like in, gods. In and your, it's like in your having comedy this act, God contact. In your comedy act, you mention your encounters with celebrities. Yes. Like Sarah Jessica Parker, Debbie. Debbie Harry. Harry. What were your celebrity encounters in Toronto this time? Did you have any? Well, you know, we were there together. You got to witness I it. I know, but I'm just trying to like. Which was embarrassing. Yeah. It was me, you, and our producer, Crystal. And we were at the Intercontinental Hotel. 
And the hotel had been taken over by like all of the biggest media outlets. So Entertainment Tonight Canada, um, The Hollywood Reporter, CBC's Q with Tom Power. (laughs) All of the big ones, they all sort of like took over these conference rooms um, in this one hallway. So all of the biggest stars that were there for the festival were just coming in and out of the hotel to go and do their press interviews. And the three of us were on our way to CBC, which is just a block away from the hotel. We're at the, you know, the entrance of the hotel, and I see this black Escalade. There's people around it. Someone's about to come out of the car. But you're quick. I'm quick. I told you guys. You picked on it quick. Yeah, I'm like, you guys, I think that's someone. So we kind of (laughs) hovered for a moment. (laughs) And then this tiny little woman emerges from the car Little black dress, little round black sunglasses, her blonde hair and a ponytail. The shoes kind of threw me off for a minute because she was wearing kind of like dirty white sneakers. And then she walks into the hotel and the automatic door closes and it bumps her. And she's so (laughs) tiny that it almost like knocks her over. It's almost like she's been hit by a tsunami. And then the doorman goes to like hit the button that reopens the door and she says thank you and in that second I'm like oh my god it's Renee Zellweger and I (laughs) my heart dropped to the floor honestly and I went back into the hotel like as she kept walking to like maybe get a picture with her just say hi but I got so intimidated because there was no one in the lobby and it's just her and they're walking so intently and she's like with her assistant her makeup artist her manager whoever do you actually love Renee Zellweger um I have to admit I love her a lot more after that moment when we got back from Toronto I rewatched all of her movies no way like I just was like in Renee mode like that moment of running into her has become like one of the definitive moments of my life Okay. (laughs) Even though I didn't speak to her, even though nothing happened, there was no interaction. I think, you know, we're living in this moment where we don't have real stars anymore, at least not in that like great Hollywood tradition. Mm. I think surprisingly, J-Lo has become that, which is so strange because J-Lo is so minimally talented. Well, we were there. We were there when the headlines for Hustlers were starting to come out and the reviews and the Oscar buzz for her role But when you look at that red carpet footage of her, like just the way that she stands on the red carpet, just like J-Lo is a big fucking star. Yeah, but it took a long time. It took a long time. But I think Renee is the same thing. It's like Renee is an Oscar winner. She's been in legitimately incredible, important movies that have like shaped part of the culture. But also she was, she's been away for a long time and now she's coming yes. back with Judy, which was also exactly. showing there. And I think it's also that like now that there's that Judy connection and like I love Judy, the Wizard of Oz is like the foundation of my life. And so like there's that connection now with her. And so I, I she genuinely took my breath so away. So one thing, I don't know if I could live my life with people like just random people recognizing oh me. Oh my and God, I, think I, saw, I live for it. And I think I saw it. It's like happened a, to me a couple of times where people have come up to me. Right. Like on the street or like one time I was sitting. Recognizing was you? Recognizing me. Like one time I was at um, Margaret Cho's show a couple of years ago and someone came up to me and was like, are you trying to winter? And like it was a moment. Did and you? like it's literally only happened to me three times <laughs> in my life. But like... And, because I get like I know what it's like to be a fangirl. What ends up happening is that I end up getting more excited so. about them recognizing me than they are about seeing me, and then it just gets weird. <laughs>
Hey. Hey. You okay? You weren't in class. You know that brown sweater that you borrowed like three weeks ago that you told me I could have back tomorrow? Yeah? I'd, I'd like it back. Sure. Are you sure you're okay? I'm fine. I just want my sweater back. It makes me feel good. I just would like it back. Fine. Then you can give me back my Sarah McLachlan CD and then we won't owe each other anything. Okay, take it. It's right over there. That was a clip from one of my favorite shows, Felicity, with Carrie Russell and Amy Jo Johnson. Of course, Amy Jo was also the one and only pink Power Ranger. And now Amy is a filmmaker, and her second feature, Tammy's Always Dying, just premiered at TIFF. Amy Jo has had such an abnormal trajectory. Like, a lot of Canadians would want to move to Hollywood to make it big, but Amy Jo kind of did the opposite. She's American. She left the U.S. to come to Canada. She is now based in Toronto, but she told us about how her new life in Canada started here in Quebec. In 2005, I went and did a little movie of the week in Montreal, and I was like, what is this magical land where they speak (laughs) French? And it's so cute and amazing. And I moved on a whim my entire life there. Really? Yeah, I had everything I owned. I found a little place on Craigslist. And um, on Laval Street, yeah, and just, like, on the plateau. Be- in the plateau, and I got a little bicycle called Bessie, <laughs> and I just like left LA and went there to decompress. I loved it. I said my mother had passed away um, three years before, okay. and I just for a lot of reasons I need to needed to get out of LA. Um, one was to sort of grieve. One I. I found myself like really constantly comparing myself to everybody around me. I just, for me, it wasn't working. And I went to Montreal and I sort of fell apart for a year, mm-hmm. um, which I needed to do. Yeah. Like a, and Montreal is a good place to fall apart. It is. <laughs> With my bicycle and like, you know. Yeah, it was there's just a freedom a, there. Yeah. And I didn't know, I didn't know a soul. And then I got a call for Flashpoint. And so that's what brought me to Toronto. And I loved Montreal, but I never felt like it was truly my home because I don't speak French. Right. So I always felt like I was sort of on the outside of some joke that was happening. And I was in that. And so it was frustrating for me a a bit. Um, And I had a little girl and um, I was married at the time. And anyway, I went as soon as I got to Toronto, I was like, ah. I love this city. This I can make this city home. And now I, I love it. And then I became a Canadian citizen. I feel really blessed. And Tammy's always dying. The film is set in Hamilton. Yep. Tammy is played by Felicity Huffman. Her daughter, Catherine, and her have this like codependent relationship. Um, Tammy is an alcoholic. She says she wants to die. She basically goes on the edge of this bridge and says she's going to jump every, every week, month. Every month. Um, but the twist is that she's actually dying because she gets a stage four liver cancer diagnosis. What drew you to that story specifically? Yeah, so I went to the Canadian Film Center. I was in the director's lab and Joanne Sarazin did the writer's lab. And so that's where I first heard Tammy's Always Dying, this story that Joanne had written. And I I personally connected with this screenplay on a very cathartic level and a very personal level because my father is a non-functioning alcoholic and my mother passed away of cancer 20 years ago so what I loved about Joanne's script was the humor that was set within all of this heavy sadness and that just spoke to me Mm. and now those are the types of movies that I want to make and and I like to find the levity in the painful things 
So it was interesting to direct something for the first time that I didn't write. And, and that was my way in, was... Like, like Tammy is so much like my dad. It's kind of crazy. Really? I, I mean, my father, I didn't actually grow up with him. Like he sort of took off when I was two and my sister was six months old. But he was an alcoholic. I mean, is, I guess you always are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel kind of lucky that I was spared growing up with him. My mm-hmm. my mother as well, she she drank a lot. She stopped drinking two years ago and she also got a, a cancer diagnosis last year. So it was extremely cathartic for mm. me to watch the film. And there was one specific feeling is when Catherine realizes that her mom is has such powerful narcissistic traits that she can't have empathy for her. And I felt that like that, what how you portrayed that was so powerful and so true feeling that you're not being taken care of by your own parent. Yeah. So my mom died 20 years ago. I was 28. Um, And that my dad always had a drinking problem, but it didn't spiral out of control until my mother passed away. And it was sort of, I think he just couldn't deal with, I, I, you know what, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure what, you know, that's his own story and that's his own thing. And, and the only person that can help him is himself. And he was always very funny and um, a bit obtuse. <laughs> but um, but only in the last five years has it become where he really is not functioning. And that's it's so sad. And I found for myself, which I think Kathy's journey is and the thing that Kathy has to learn is how to let go and how to and because that's like you have to at some point get yourself out of the toxic relationship and that was like the biggest thing for me was figuring out how to let go and did you feel like you learned that for yourself on a personal level in making this film because i would imagine that like directing felicity in this role must have felt to some extent like you're dealing with your father or this you know this representation of your father yeah. was that the case i think the whole aspect of making this movie simultaneously I kind of had to let go to truly like dive into all all aspects of the film and and really make the movie that I wanted to make. Um, and Felicity Huffman, like, what a gift for her to be in the film. She showed up so prepared and so willing to just be so vulnerable and raw and. She was very intimidating, I found, on set because she came as Tammy. Wow. wow. And I realized in the editing room that she actually trusted me because I realized, like, her character is so big. And it was my responsibility to, in the editing room, really make sure that the performance comes across real and grounded. And I think she had to just, like, go like balls out and just go here you go yeah now it's your turn to make sure you don't make me look like a jerk of course now felicity is embroiled in this college bribery scandal she gives such a phenomenal performance in the film do you feel to some level that she might not get the recognition that she deserves because of the scandal and and to some extent the film might not get the recognition that it deserves because of the scandal oh you know what i have no idea what's gonna happen um I'm just so grateful that she okay. gave all of herself to this movie. And I'm, I'm just a believer that um, it's going to work out the way it's supposed to. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? 
I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You've said often that you have been traumatized by fame. Would that be a, an appropriate <laughs> statement? <laughs> um, or at the very least, reluctant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm realizing as I've gone in, into filmmaking is that I didn't love acting as much as I love being a filmmaker. Right. So, and I, so I found myself to be an insecure actor. And I think that's why I floundered so much in Los Angeles too, because I didn't, ha- I wasn't grounded in it, and my I didn't have a true passion for it. I do love acting, but I don't like the work that I put into a film as a director and a writer. There's so much passion and drive there. I don't feel lazy at all. Whereas an actor, I think I was lazy a lot. Right. Because I didn't Because you felt like there was something missing. Yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't moved by it as much. And and I found watching Anastasia Phillips, who's so great in the movie, and Felicity, watching them, I could truly see how lazy of an actress I was. (laughs) That takes so much humility to say. Yeah, it really does. Oh my God, if I ever act again, which I don't know if I will. Right. I have a role that I want to do that I wrote about my mom, but um, I want to put in 150% <laughs> like they did because it's not, it's such a gift to a director and it's yeah. so not fair when an actor doesn't do that. Well, <laughs> but it's kind of crazy that you're saying that because like I've heard you say that Power Rangers was like not only your breakthrough and your first major role, but like your first audition. So you were just sort of like catapulted into this. It's like the universe really wanted you in front of a camera. Yeah. Like the universe was like, Amy Jo, you're you're a gymnast, you you know, but we're gonna put you in front of a camera, you're gonna in be an pink actress. Spandex. Yeah. Yeah. Here like, we go. 138 episodes. Like, it's crazy to think about that. Yeah. And when we think about, like, Power Rangers, like, it's easy just to, like, think of it as this kid show. But, like, for me, like, at that moment in my life, I was around eight years old. And, like, I didn't really know what being trans meant. But I knew that, like, I was a girl. I knew that that was who I was. And I know it sounds so corny, but, like, Kimberly, I remember her being such this example for me of, like what like the coolest kind of girl could be or like the kind of girl that I wanted to be like just this like kick-ass girl but there was also this like confidence in your femininity like in the character did you feel close to the character I love that you're saying that that's yeah but I really honestly I I, all of my friends we always wanted to be the pink rangers I think but I had very different reasons you Mm. know so when we would play power rangers for me it was like this chance to like actually be who I really was Mm. So I had no idea when I was doing that show. It was literally my first job as an actor. Um, You know, I was 21. I had no idea the impact it was making on all of these kids that now I keep, I've been meeting a lot of them because I'm doing conventions right now. I do about 10 a year for lots of reasons. One is so that I can be a filmmaker because I'm not acting anymore and that's not where my bread and butter is. Two, I just like to get the word out that I'm directing now and, and talk about my films. But then also it's meeting like all these incredible people with these incredible stories and of how my character 
that I did, played 25 years ago affected them and helped them. Um, it's like this weird free karma or something. Because I had no idea. It wasn't right. my intention. No, I know. You know? I have to say that even beyond Power Rangers, I was like profoundly obsessed with Felicity. And you were my favorite <laughs> character, of course. And I remember being like, so this was like a few years later, obviously. And I, I was like, so happy to see you again. Like at that point, it must have been like 13 or something or whatever yeah. it was. But I know that you've said that your time on that show was kind of awkward. And For myself, I actually saw Carrie Russell on Saturday night. Oh, it my was so God. Fun. Oh, my God. I got into that Hollywood Reporter party, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me everything. That yeah. was so fun. It was so surreal. After it was all those so years. Great. It was just great. We Yeah, we gave a big hug and had a chat, and it was it was so fun to see her. So what you're referring to yeah, is I've, my mom died when I first got that show. Oh. And so it was at, right at that moment in time. At that moment. And as I said before, that I was I've always felt like a bit of an insecure actress and I, I and I wasn't grounded and and so I found myself floundering for those four years. Right. Because that was such a big show. And the caliber and and of people and the directors that would come in. And Have J. you ever rewatched Abrams. it? No, but I want because to. Because I think you would find that your performance was really moving, Amy. I really? think you would be really proud okay. of it. I rewatch it every fall. <laughs> there's something so autumnal about Felicity. And I just like, I rewatched the first season. Because I don't know if you know this, but the show really went downhill after you left. Well, that's because she cut her hair, though. <laughs> no, I think it's because you left. Oh, I think it's because you, you. It really, you there was no, but that. there really was this like there, like the absence of your character really did leave this hole in the show huh. that they kind of tried to fill with other characters, and it never worked. Huh? It's just <laughs> so interesting. So, um, my daughter's ten. And we just, oh. like, we binge watch Gilmore Girls. Yeah. But anyway, so I want to uh, watch it with her. I think you should. Yeah. I, and it's like, it really holds up. Just in terms of, like, what it tackled and, mm -hmm. you know, I think it, it's a great show for your daughter to watch. Yeah. And it was also Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams yeah. who created mm. it. And the directors that they would bring on were these wonderful film directors. So I just want to watch it as a filmmaker now as well. Yeah, it holds up. Yeah. Are you conscious of, of how you've reinvented yourself so many times? Like listening to you, like you've been the pink Power Ranger and then you were on this like <laughs> massive television show. And now you're a Canadian citizen who's a filmmaker in Toronto. Like two people who are afraid of reinventing themselves after something intense happens. Like, are you aware of that power that you have? Um, Not really in the way okay. that you're saying it, but I do if I'm not happy, I'm going to change it. Okay. Yeah. So I I do keep just moving forward. What sign are you? Libra. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's a Libra. Yeah. It's and it's still a very ambiguous sign to me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But I do think like just to hear the more personal side of your journey and to hear that like you know, and I think the film really does this too. That there can be loss. That there can be trauma but that there's a way to move on and there's a way to thrive yeah and that that is what the whole film is about is is about letting go thank you so much amy joe it was so fun thank you so thank much you. yes thank, thank you, you. Great. amy joe johnson we talked to her during the toronto international film festival keep an eye out for her new film tammy's always dying and you can't really stream Felicity anywhere, so you're just going to have to buy the old-school giant DVD box sets and, like, live it up. Put on a sweater, make some s'mores, <laughs> and watch Felicity. <laughs> 
obsession. Obsession. What are you obsessed with? What am I obsessed with? Last episode, my obsession was blown away. The glass blowing competition reality series. I mean, for me, the reality shows that I'm into are really competition based. But you have this obsession with this like finding love show that I've never heard of before. Yes, it's called Are You the One? It's an MTV show. It's a pretty conventional dating show. But the twist is that um, in the cast, usually it would be straight people. It would be cis men and cis women, and they would try to find their perfect match. But the new season is the queer season. So it's all queer people who can be pansexual, bisexual, cis, trans, and their perfect match can be someone from their own gender, another gender. It's fascinating. What makes it so fascinating? Well, first of all, the idea of the perfect match to me is sort of out dated yeah and as if you're gonna find it on that i know i know so the whole premise is ridiculous so (laughs) there the humor is there at the start because it's like who will find like i you never really find love on a dating show we all know it so in 2019 for people to actually be so invested in the game that they want to find it i mean come on but they so the way it works is that they all filled up questionnaires about what they want and what they need in a relationship before going on the show they're all flown to Hawaii. There are 16 contestants. But they're all clearly emotionally damaged people. Well, of course. <laughs> it's MTV casting a reality show. So they're all emotionally damaged people who are pretty hot. Like, hot queer people on TV. I mean, there have been, there have been a few shows, but there are not that many shows. So no. to watch, it's like it's pretty... And also, like, on those shows like Big Brother, there's usually only one queer person. And it sucks because there's no one there for them. Exactly. So in in this, you have all of these possibilities. Um, They jump into it way too fast. The the trans contestant, his name is Kai. And he, first episode, he is the player. He gets (laughs) in with everybody. They're all into him. Right. Um, He's pretty hot. And... In the, in the way that it's radical, one example, the show is set in Hawaii, like he's just shirtless walking around and you can see the scars on the top surgery, but it's never addressed. They don't right. talk about it's not part of the story. And it's so refreshing. And the first couple episodes, they actually had matches. So okay. they the way it works is they when the end of the episode is happening, there's a beam of light. Um, that's like lighting up in the sky. There are eight beams. So if the eight beams light up, then it means that they have the the perfect eight matches. It's also interesting because they don't really know these people that well. And then they have to make these decisions. And it's like, it's a lot about how in relationships, it's a choice. Right. It's really a choice. If you want to engage with someone or not, like you can believe that, oh, like there's a reason why I'm here. So it's like, it's a really interesting reflection on the nature of relationships. Yeah. I mean, especially in terms of like that, idea of like decision making yeah because i think when you look at most couples like yeah it's almost like this like arbitrary decision like we've decided to be together so we're going to be together yeah and and they're they they put more pressure on themselves in that season because they're they're the queer season so they're like we have to win it for the queers it's also very interesting because a lot of the people on the show are not presenting as queer they're presenting as regular trashy reality show contestants you know what i mean like one example would be this like 
sort of like um, muscular, jock-ish, bisexual guy who's like, who, if he was with women, would look like a total player. Right. But then he's such a cutie when we, he's with a guy. And like, he's really into that guy. And I think there's something very interesting because for me, I remember being a teenager in my early, and, and when I was in my early 20s, like, you were gay or you were straight. Like, the bisexual, right. pansexual category didn't really exist. And these people are not that much younger than me, but I... I don't know. It, it it's feels, changing. It's, it feels like a shift. And yeah. There are, and, and it's a good show. Yeah. And more and more of like the dating shows are including trans people and non-binary people. And like hopefully that makes people feel a bit more comfortable just interacting with people yeah. as people. There's a dating show here in Quebec this fall uh, with a, um, a trans woman as yes. a contestant. It's a straight show. I know. I'm, I'm worried about her. I'm excited to watch it. I think she seems fantastic. She's amazing. I think it's great that finally that there, there is a trans character on the show that I only heard about like in the last year, but apparently it's like the biggest thing it's in huge. Quebec ever. It's called Occupation Double. Occupation, like double occupation, I guess. It doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> but like... I'm so curious to see how it's going to pan out because the show that you're describing, it's like everyone in some aspect is queer, you know, but this trans girl on the Quebec show is going to be facing like all these straight men who I'm could be more open than we think, but it could also be, we're not there yet. Could also be backwards. There's so much like straight male shame around wanting to be with a trans woman. And there's no question that the men on the show will be, interested in her to some extent not everyone just it comes down to natural chemistry obviously but even when a straight man feels that natural chemistry with a trans person they're so uncomfortable by it and on top of when they're being watched especially and now it's like they're not just being watched by their friends they're being watched by an entire province you know what i would watch the bachelorette with trying to win tour <laughs> no one would get a rose or everyone would get a rose i don't know but seriously you should watch are you the one streaming on mtv chosen family is produced by me trana winter and me thomas leblanc with crystal duhame crystal also edits and mixes the show our talent producer on this episode was katherine stockhausen big thanks to evan kelly chosen family's music is by the lost boys Judy Zigu is our digital producer. Tanya Springer is the senior producer of CBC Podcasts, and Arif Narani is the executive producer. And if you haven't already, I don't know what you're waiting for, join our Facebook group. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Phi Studio. And of course, listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.